Well, whether you're watching online or you're here today, thanks for being here. It's so good to be with the family of God. Um, I always look forward to Sunday mornings. And um, in fact, I think God woke me up early this morning at 4.45 and I couldn't go back to sleep because I was so excited to preach the word to you guys. And so um, thanks for being here. Today, our responsive reading, we didn't read it, but um, thanks to technical difficulties, um, but it proclaimed in part of it that our Lord is a great God, the great King who is higher than any other. And in some of our songs, we sang, just, just now we sang, you are my King. And in another song, who rules the nations with truth and justice, the King of glory, the King above all kings. Do you sense a theme going on here? Today is Christ the King Sunday, and some of you might wonder, what on earth is that? What does that mean? Well, we've reached the last Sunday in the church year, meaning next week is Advent. Like I said, that just blows my mind. I I swear November 1st was just a couple days ago. Um, But today we celebrate and honor Jesus Christ as King and Lord over all creation. It's not as if we don't celebrate that throughout the year, right? We always want to be cognizant of the fact that Jesus Christ is king over the universe, that Jesus Christ rules over our lives, that Christ is the king of all, the only one worthy of our praise. And yet we have this paradox, this depiction of God as shepherd, as we heard in the Ezekiel passage, and as we'll hear today again in the gospel passage. But I love that line at the end of the Ezekiel reading that said, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. Keep that in mind as we continue today. See, in our minds, a shepherd and a king are very different things, right? You wouldn't often see a king out in a field or tending to a flock of sheep, right? That's not something a king does. Likewise, we wouldn't see a shepherd probably stepping foot in a palace or in the presence of royalty. But what we see and know in the person of Jesus is that these two characteristics, king and shepherd, are very much the same. Christ as king is Christ as shepherd. Jesus flips on its head humans' understanding of kingship because what do we know of Jesus from scripture? That Jesus is gentle and kind. That Jesus adopts the posture of a servant washing his disciples' feet. That Jesus seeks and saves the lost. That Jesus is shepherd and Jesus is king. So we celebrate and recognize today that Jesus rules and reigns. That would be an appropriate time to say amen. (laughs) So think with me to last week about the parable from Matthew that dealt with this this servant. Some translations call him the lazy servant or the wicked servant um, who buried his master's talent, this valuable coin, and he didn't do anything with it out of fear for what his master would do. He, he didn't think he was doing anything wrong, but he was complacent. He didn't do anything with this money. And the week before that was the parable of the bridesmaids who hadn't prepared enough oil for the bridegroom's entry, and so they missed it. Yet again, another passage of complacency, of not being ready. And we finish off the church year today with one last parable from Matthew, um, the last uh, part of chapter 25. Although biblical scholars have been in debate as to whether or not this is actually another one of Jesus' parables or just a response to the preceding parables, I'm not in the mood for a debate, and I can imagine you aren't either. Um, So we're not going to worry about that too much. Um, Regardless, Jesus uses this text for us today 
to move us from a place of complacency to a place of action. So I'll be reading from chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Um, So out of reverence for the reading of the gospel, would you stand as you are able on your feet or in your hearts to hear God's word this morning? Again, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Now when the human one comes in his majesty and all his angels are with him, he will sit on his majestic throne. All the nations will be gathered in front of him. He will separate them from each other, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right side, but the goats he will put on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who will receive good things from my father. Inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. I was hungry and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and give you clothes to wear? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then the king will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, get away from me, you who will receive terrible things. Go into the unending fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you didn't give me food. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't welcome me. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothes to wear. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't do anything to help you? And then he will answer, I assure you that when you haven't done it for one of the least of these, you haven't done it for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous ones will go into eternal life. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Go ahead and take a seat. I read that passage and I think, woof. Isn't, if this isn't a challenging text, I'm not sure what is in scripture. Um, it seems that the writer of Matthew has really taken us through the ringer the last couple weeks. A couple times I went into Trent's office and I'm like, I'm so sorry for what you have to preach this Sunday. (laughs) And then I read this and I'm like, wow, it just continues. And even then it's not necessarily Matthew, but it's actually Jesus himself saying these words. um, Talking about these core issues of faith and life and how the two come together. But I want to start by clearing up, this isn't the only text we have in scripture of God's judgment. This is one snippet of what we see on God's judgment in the Bible. So before you go looking in the mirror to figure out if you're a sheep or a goat, remember that Christ will be looking, when when Christ comes again, Christ will be looking at the whole of our lives, of our belief, of our faith, and of our actions. With that in mind, this text is extremely significant still, and we shouldn't overlook or ignore the message here, perhaps especially because they're Jesus' words. So a few weeks ago, Trent used the illustration of being out on the field at recess Um, perhaps this was a true story, and the team captains going through and picking who they wanted on their teams. Now, that was always a nerve-wracking moment for all of us, right? It's like, I don't want to be the last one that's chosen. 
Um, that's a little like how I imagine this scene in scripture to be like, maybe it wasn't like that, but I feel like the people were probably like, what team am I going to be on? Or when I'm planning a game to play with the teens, I have to separate them into teams, so it's usually like one, two, one, two, but it's like sheep, goat, sheep, definitely goat, sheep. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, but I can't help but imagine that this massive group of people were just standing there, like biting their nails, wondering where they fit in. Where is Jesus going to place me? See, we know from the passage that sheep equals good, righteous, kingdom inhabitants, and that goats equals bad, unfaithful, eternal punishment. (laughs) Not a reflection of you. (laughs) That's pretty clear from the passage, right? So what is the criterion? How do we end up at the right hand? As I was preparing this week, I was like, that's the question we have to answer, right? That's what I need to talk about. Well, I was thinking and was kind of convicted and was like, that's the wrong question entirely, isn't it? If we're asking that question, it's likely that we have some some self-examination to do. Because according to this passage, those who end up at their right hand had no clue, no inkling, as to what the outcome of their actions would be. They said, Jesus, when did we see you thirsty, hungry, a stranger, naked, sick, or in prison and help you? You see, their actions were simply a natural outflow of their character. At least that's something we can assume from the text. And those who end up on the left side, well, I imagine they were asking themselves the wrong question all along. What can I do to get to the top? What can I do so that people will see me doing good things? How can I achieve eternal life? So no wonder the second group is so confused when Jesus calls them out. Jesus, we never saw you suffering, so how can it be true that we didn't help you? You see, they were asking all the wrong questions, doing the wrong things, or perhaps doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Seeking and seeing through the wrong lens. I can just hear it. But I worship in the temple every day, Jesus. I give alms in the temple when I go. I read the law, Jesus. And then I can hear Jesus' response. Yes, but on your way to the temple, you passed a woman who needed to eat. Yes, but you made sure that people could see you and hear you when you gave your money at the temple. Yes, but in reading the law, you forgot why the law exists. One likely reality about our text is that the nations um, that were gathered together likely referred to a group of Gentiles, um, and Jesus is urging them to care for the least of these, which a lot of scholars believe he was referring to missionaries. So think people like Paul, people who were going to be spreading the gospel. He wanted those spreading the gospel to be taken care of, and understandably so, so that the church would continue, right? But you know who was also present in most of these stories and needed to probably hear it as much as anybody else was the disciples, those who would be the ones to grow the church when Jesus was gone. So it's fascinating, this tension that we have. Is this passage about missionaries? Are they the least of these? Or is it about those in need among us now, both inside and outside the church? It can certainly be both, I think. Because when we boil it down, does Jesus' original audience make a difference in our response to this text? I don't think so. You see, this message is just as much for the church today as it was for those who were hearing it for the first time. That's the beauty of the Bible being the living, breathing word of God.
So thinking about the previous week's parables, about the, the servant and the bridesmaids, Jesus' warnings about being ready, we might interpret that as being ready for when Jesus comes back to redeem all of creation, which I don't think is a wrong interpretation. We should be ready for that. But I wonder if in the same breath that these cautions are just as concerned about being ready to help the least of these now. Be ready to see Jesus now in each face, each heart, each human we interact with. Be ready to see Jesus because that human is a child of God. In this particular passage, what we read and should hear is that God's judgment, again, like I said earlier, in this passage specifically, is based on our reaction to human need. I was, as I was reading this week um, in preparation for the sermon, I came across a few helpful reminders um, from one of the writers. Um, the obvious call here is what? Like I just said, it's to help others, right? One writer clarifies, though, that it's not just any help that we're called to give. Um, William Barclay is the writer. He writes that this parable teaches us about, about the help which we must give. First, he writes, it must be help in simple things. And I was like, what does that mean? I kept reading. Basic human needs. That's what that means. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Water. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Shelter or hospitality even. I was naked and you gave me clothes to wear. Clothes or dignity. Basic human needs. I was sick and you took care of me. Healthcare. I was in prison and you visited me. Human connection, friendship. These are all basic human needs that Jesus is talking about. So before we leave and start trying to solve all human needs and problems everywhere, this passage is clear that it's in the simple things we must be concerned. Food, water, shelter, basic human needs. Second reminder that um, William Barclay stated is that it must be a help which is uncalculating. Those who helped didn't think they were helping Christ, right? What they did was natural and instinctive, the result of a pure and loving heart. And the last reminder, Jesus confronts us with this humbling truth that all such help given is actually given to himself. One other writer that is a Nazarene pastor, actually, who was responding to this passage, said, care for creation is care for creator. I'll say that again. Care for creation is care for creator. And I would add on to that, that and say that care for creation means, maybe this is obvious, care for all of creation, right? Not just the parts we're comfortable with, not just the parts we're familiar with. You see, earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, when we read the well-known Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a lot of challenging words, but he says this, if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing? Don't even the Gentiles do that? Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is complete in showing love to everyone, so you must also be complete. This is one of those classic, what would Jesus do challenges. WWJD, who remembers those bracelets? 
What would Jesus do if he saw someone thirsty? What would Jesus do if he saw somebody hungry? Who would Jesus care for? We all know the answer, right? Everybody. But when we read scripture, and this is not the only passage, particularly it's the least of these. Those whose society has deemed unworthy, a waste of time and resources, shameful to look at and be around. But guess what, church? Jesus hasn't called us to see the way society sees them, hasn't called us to look at humans that way, through a lens of individuality and consumerism and objectivity. Jesus has called us to look at another human as if we were looking directly into his very face. Really think about that. Look at another human and ask them first, what do you need? Not, why are you here? Not, can you move out of my way? And not even, do you know Jesus? And hear me out before you throw me out. When someone is thirsty, I didn't plan that. When someone is thirsty, give them a drink, then talk to them about Jesus. When someone is hungry, fill their belly and then talk to them about Jesus. When someone is a stranger, get to know them and then talk to them about Jesus. When someone is naked, please put clothes on them and then talk to them about Jesus. You get where I'm going. You know that common phrase, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Give, teach a man a fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. That's all jolly and good. I love that. Love that concept. But I saw a quote this week on a friend's Instagram story. And if you don't know what an Instagram story is, ask a teenager. And it said, you can give a man a fish and then teach him how to fish because it's kind of hard to fish on an empty stomach. And I thought to myself, hmm, that's a really good point. How many times have I neglected someone's basic human need and went straight for the spiritual conversation? Church, I don't need to tell you to be good people. You're already good people. You're great people. I love you all a lot. You're in church. You're watching online. And I'm so thrilled and thankful for that. Thankful for this community of believers. You being here means I have a job. But could it be that Christ cares just as deeply about the mundane, ordinary moments and interactions of our lives, what we do outside of Sunday morning, as he does about our Sunday morning attendance? Could it be that Christ cares just as deeply about how we use our time and resources to help others as he does that we are tithing at church? And could it be that Jesus cares just as deeply, if not more, I would say, that we are living out what scripture is calling us to do as he does that we are actually reading our Bibles? See, our challenge today is this, that we would be sheep, not goats, although goats are cute. Not for the sole purpose of reaching the goal of getting to the the king's righteous right hand, but in the sense that we would recognize our shepherd's voice and really, truly hear and obey. See, Christ is king, powerful, and worthy of our worship and praise. Amen? And Christ is shepherd, gentle and meek, worthy of being followed. And that is good news today.
I'm gonna invite the praise team to come back up. Um, but I wanna end with this quote that I came across this week um, that really just spoke to me. The, the writer is John Buchanan. He's a pastor in the Nazarene church. Um, not the Nazarene church, a different church. But he wrote, God is here in the messiness and ambiguity of life. God is here, particularly in your neighbor, the one who needs you. You want to see the face of God? Look into the face of one of the least of these, the vulnerable, the weak, the children, end quote. So if you leave today and worry about whether or not you're a sheep or a goat, remember that this text, this gospel message, gives us one criterion, and that is whether or not we see the face of Jesus in the face of the needy, and whether or not we give ourselves away in love in his name. God, that is the, the challenge, to see your face in those around us, God. It's especially hard when we are interacting with those that we disagree with, those that are different than us. But would you help us, God? Would you shift the lens through which we're looking to look at people the way you would look at them? With love and gentleness and compassion and kindness. God, that is our prayer. I don't know if there's anybody awesome enough to end such a beautiful Sunday. Um, but church, may we understand that Jesus is both king and shepherd. May we remember that Jesus is calling us not only to be ready for when he comes, but ready to help the least of these among us now. May we remember that it is God by Christ and through the Holy Spirit who makes us new and launches us into life, a life of love for God and neighbor. Go in peace.